This is the Home Health Revealed podcast. Hear stories from real industry leaders discussing topics affecting the ever-changing industries of home health, hospice, and palliative care. Welcome to Home Health Revealed podcast. I am your host, Mike Greenlee, and I have here, believe it or not, Hannah Vale. Believe it or not, here in the flesh. Yes. How are you? So I'm great. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Yeah? Yeah. All right. So you know Thanksgiving's coming up. Yes, thankfully. I'm not a huge fan. What? I don't like the food. And uh, How do you not like turkey? What is the point in Thanksgiving? To give thanks and celebrate like the pilgrimage. Didn't you ever do pilgrims and Indians in school? Uh, Cowboys and Indians. How can you not like a holiday that's just a Thursday off, food that's really good? I don't know why you wouldn't like ham and turkey. Isn't that what you do? Nobody has ham on Thanksgiving. They have turkey. We always have ham and turkey. Ham's for Christmas. We do it for both. That's not how you're supposed to do it. Do you have noodles? For Thanksgiving? Yeah. No? See, I don't understand it. I don't know what's wrong with people. But you have to have noodles at your Thanksgiving dinner. Homemade noodles that you put on top of your mashed potatoes. What? Yeah. I've never heard of this. I don't. Nobody has. I don't understand it. Well, I, Where you guys been living? What's wrong with you all? I, I think I've been living in America, the place where Thanksgiving happens. Okay. Tell me why you wouldn't have noodles. Well, because it's a carb and potatoes are a starch. So unless you're talking about pierogies in which you stuff them with potatoes, I wouldn't put noodles on top of my mashed potatoes. I don't know what you just said, but what I'm saying is noodles they're, they're the thick noodles. The egg noodles, like yeah. the big yeah, yeah, fat yeah. ones. I love yes. those. And have you noticed that those oh. are always more uh, in stock around Thanksgiving? Nope. Okay, whatever. But do you not make a turkey? Yeah. Do you make the turkey? No, I buy a turkey. You buy it already made? Yes. From already a, smoked. From a, yes, absolutely. Because it's a delicate, it, it's the main dish. I, I know. That's too much pressure. Oh, Wow. Okay. It's the best way to go, I think. We're not here to talk about my Thanksgiving because I don't really like Thanksgiving. I think it's a... Wow. You ungrateful. No, I like Thanksgiving. It's fine. Hey, we got somebody on the phone that's happened to hear this bantering, which I feel sorry for. I know. Bless her heart. Michael and I have a really great show for you today. And I mean, I think they're all great, right, Mike? But this one is particularly great on hospice care and the multifaceted needs of patients and their families as well as care quality and consistency. And we're going to be talking with Dina Heath. And if you know Dina, you know the hospice expert that she is. Um, She has been an RN since 1994. And with the last 16 years spent in hospice, she is currently, as of Friday, drum roll please, the Senior VP of Client Experience at CanTime, although she's been with CanTime since 2019. She has a background as a hospice administrator and a director of Quapi. She has a love for all things Quapi and compliance related, as you will hear quite a bit of during this podcast. Um, she has worked with large and small hospices and been very instrumental in her agency's survey process, having completed approximately 30 hospice surveys during her tenure. Dina lives in Alabama with her dog, Oliver, and her children, Emma and Joseph. Roll Tide. Welcome, Dina. I love how you put your dog first and then your children. Well, yeah, well, you know, the children are grown. The dog's still a baby. And and let me say that ham and turkey are for Thanksgiving and prime rib is for Christmas. And then ham is again for New Year's Day. Have you had, you have have you had noodles? I've had noodles, yes, but not on top of mashed <laughs> potatoes. Who puts noodles on top of the mashed potatoes? That's that's dumb. I think, re- just dumb. I think real men put noodles on their mashed potatoes. My. Well, thank God I'm not a man. That's all I know to say. 
Well, today on that note, we're going to be exploring some significant challenges in hospice care. Dina is a leading expert in hospice and has dedicated her career to improving patient and family care. So, Dina, super excited to have you here. Yeah, Dina. Welcome to the show. It's about time we get you on the show. You know, Hannah's been harassing me for like three years. Well, I tell you what, you know, I've listened to you speak at multiple conferences and uh, you're, you're a very good speaker, by the way. Uh, and so I want to dive right in. And okay. our first topic that I want to talk about is patient and family needs. Can you help us understand the complex needs of patients and their families in the home setting? I can. You know, it, there are so many, so many needs. Um, you know, when you first meet a hospice patient and you go out there for the first time, there are so many things. I used to tell my staff that you have that first meeting to make or break that relationship with that patient. So if I go out there and that, that first patient, that first meeting is not good, it, it's not going to be a good thing. It's not going to be successful yeah, how at do, all. How, how do the, uh, so if I'm getting ready to go into, or uh, let's say a family member that I know is getting ready to go into hospice, is there a certain way that people, you know, are supposed to react or, or, you know, what, what do we do to help comfort the patient? I mean, I don't, I don't think there's a, there's a specific way you should react. I think everyone reacts differently. It's a, it's a huge thing to know that that person that you love is in six months or less, if they follow that trajectory are going to not be with you anymore. So I, I don't think there's anything that you can do to act right. I think you just have to be supportive of your, of your family members or significant others wishes. So, Dina, when you would talk to your staff about this initial meeting and the gravity of it, what were maybe some really practical things that you would tell them to do or maybe not to do? The biggest thing that you do is you go in and you listen. That is the that's the biggest thing you can do is is just go in and listen. You 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 are going to have to communicate a lot of stuff, but if you don't if you don't go in with the air that you're going to listen, if you're going in there just to get them admitted to hospice and get this stuff in the computer and all that consent sign and stuff, then then that's going to just fail right from the beginning. You have to go in there with the heart to listen because the, hey, they've just been told they're going to die in six months. I mean, we all know we're going to die. But when you say six months, that's that's a lot of gravity to that situation. And so you just you really just have to listen to that patient. That's the biggest thing. An admission visit cannot be quick. It cannot be hurried. It has to be listen. And and I used to tell people too, you know, when you walk in that house, you have to leave everything outside and go into that house with a fresh mind. You can't carry that baggage inside. Nobody wants that to go inside with you. You know, caregivers have to take that step in there and the family may have an influx of visitors. Uh, some families may not be comfortable with that patient dying at home, even though they have agreed to this. Right. And so caregivers can really, uh, you know, as you're kind of alluding to here, sometimes face their own mortality caring for that patient. That's very true. Um, you know, when you are with someone that's dying, it, it does kind of bring, that a little bit closer to, to home and the visitors and all that is, is different. It, it changes the caregiver's entire world, whether they live with the patient or whether they don't live with the patient, it changes that day to day schedule that the patient and the caregiver has. Everybody wants to see the patient. People want to come by and visit. 
you know, maybe you've got to leave your job and take FMLA to take care of the patient, or maybe they need to move into your house and you're not comfortable with them dying. So all that kind of has to be figured out in the beginning too, which is a good reason, you know, that, that maybe on that first visit, it's not just the nurse. Maybe it's more of the care team than just the nurse. Yeah. So how can hospice providers better meet these diverse needs, especially in like pain management or emotional support? So, you know, the comprehensive assessment um, is required from CMS um, to, to include a physical, emotional, and spiritual assessment. So, you know, if the, if the patient doesn't allow the social worker or whatever to come, the nurse has to do that. But, but you have to be, you know, you have to assess all those. And, and you have to remember that pain sometimes is not physical pain. It could be emotional or spiritual pain that manifests. So it's important for all of the team members to gather that information and to take that back and discuss it between the team. Because if I feel like that it's spiritual pain, I can give them all the pain medication in the world, but that's not going to help if I'm not treating the spiritual aspect of it or the emotional aspect of it. So, you know, medication doesn't always work. Sometimes it is truly emotional. So you have to incorporate all of those and you, ha- and that's, that's the whole purpose of IDT or the interdisciplinary team or group is to come together and discuss that so that your patient gets that best care. You know, in can time, I, I know, let me just put my plug in here. Cantown makes it super easy because we allow them to do real-time documentation. So instead of going home and trying to think about the conversation, they can document that in real time. And all of that information goes directly into the IDT without the clinician having to do anything. So that information's already there for the team to see. In addition to the IDT, what role does the family really play? How are they involved in this process? Because Part of the IDT, part of their responsibility is really to effectively collaborate with families, right, to meet those Mm -hmm. emotional and support needs. So how do they play a part in that? You know, that's a great question. It's important. And what one of the things that we used to do is, is when I would go do an admission with the patient, I would take a social worker with me. So while I'm over here assessing the patient and taking care of the patient, the social worker is there with the family talking about their issues and their needs and, and getting that in. And then education for the family is so important, you know, and, and just an example, you, you'll have a patient that, you know, maybe the doctor has has said, you know, oh, she can't, she's diabetic. She can't have any sugar, you know, and, and she's dying for some sugar. Well, you know, you, you have to teach the family. It's okay for her to have a little bit of sugar. I mean, she's dying, give her, you know, kind of give her what she wants, but they also, you know, it's important for the social worker and chaplain to do the assessment on the family, just like they would do the assessment on the patient, because you have to be looking for anticipatory grief, and that grief may go deeper than just this patient. Maybe they've had two or three patients, I mean, two or three family members die recently, so their anticipatory grief is much more. But you you have to assess that caregiver, too, because in the end, the hospice care will be about the caregiver. When the patient's gone, those bereavement services take over, and the hospice care becomes about the caregiver. What type of training do these do clinicians go through? 
So they should go through a standardized training. Of course, they go through all of the basic, you know, skills training and stuff like that. But many agencies will do documentation training. What's the best way to document? Many agencies will do spiritual training or emotional behavioral training. In the agency that I worked for before I came to Canton, we did classes every year to help new employees and employees that had been there. Um, It's also important to have you know, small groups inside that where you can talk about those things that go on. But but the biggest thing about training is it has to be standardized. So whatever training I get is the training you should get is the training Hannah should get. We should all get the same training because if we're all getting different training, then the patients are not going to have a very good course of care because, Michael, you may go in and do something totally different than myself or Hannah would do. So it's very important that it's standardized. It's very important that it goes throughout the year and anytime regs or something like that changes it's very important to train on that as well and to keep those clinicians as up to date as you can so that really brings us into the second topic right which is care quality and consistency so you've talked a little bit about consistency here with the training and which is a very significant concern not only as you're serving the patient and the families but really just bringing that consistency to the operations of your agency So you talked about training. Can you tell us, even though I I know you work so closely with the software, but how does CanTime allow them to maybe uh, get some of these trainings out? You you know, and I'll use CanTime as an example. One of the great things that we have is we have the ability for you to upload your videos. We have the ability for you to upload any teaching guides and, and the ability to schedule those in services all within inside the system. So, you know, if you're a small agency that covers a large area, for instance, when I, when I worked again, I covered my agency covered eight counties because we could cover all the counties that were touching us. So, you know, if I have nurses that are seeing patients three counties over, it doesn't really make sense to bring them in, you know, all the time for in-services. So if you put those videos out there, they can watch those videos, those tests can be administered, and then you can always follow up with those clinicians when you can. But I think it's very important to have that stuff recorded, Um, just like we do when we go through implementation. When we go through implementation, we record all your implementations and we load them to your site so that when someone new comes to work for you, they can watch the same training that you watched when you were going through implementation. So is there any any other specific technologies or tools that can help providers maintain consistency across the the large service area? Well, you know, electronic health records and telemedicine platforms help streamline that communication um, and share the patient information. Um, They can also be used to ensure that care provided is consistent and it's the highest quality regardless of where the patient is. So, you know, with a longitudinal medical record where you can see that patient since the beginning of time, you really have an advantage. Um, And that's important to be able to see that all the way through. Yeah. So in that context of ensuring quality care and consistency, how can agencies address any challenges with staff turnover and training, especially in specific regions that may have high turnover rates. Okay, now I can go down a whole rabbit hole here. All right, let's go. On staff retention. On staff retention. <laughs> um, but it, it's really, it, it's more, it's above, 
the standard, it allows you to ensure that everyone is trained the same. But I think also, you know, increased on-sites, and, and it is about staff retention. What are you doing to retain your staff? Are you coaching those employees? Are you available for those employees? Do those employees feel, feel needed and wanted and important to the organization? To me, sometimes that is much much more important than training in and of itself. Um, you know, and and are you hiring the right kind of people? Are you hiring people that have a heart for hospice and that see this as a career? Or are you hiring Nancy Joe who just graduated from nursing school and all she wants is a job? Because if if you're hiring people that just want a job, you'll never get your turnover rate down ever. It will stay high forever. So, I mean, all those things are important. Standardized training obviously is important because it allows to make sure that everyone's trained. But but more important than that to me really is, you know, is taking care of your staff and making sure that they have what they need and making sure that they feel valued and that they feel important. I try to do that now with my staff. So, I And, and I'll say important. you, yes. You do. I watch you interact with your staff and you're just a very naturally caring person. And I know you and I have talked about hospice in it being, uh, I'm going to use the phrase, a calling, or like you said, you know, somebody who's in it with their heart for a career. And I know you have, you have experience as a hospice administrator. Is there something that you felt like made you successful in hiring and retaining those types of clinicians was there a question was there something that you like looked for that was just you knew they had that spark I mean I would like to tell you there was something specific but really you you know when you ask them to give you examples of caring for patients before and, and what drives them to work I mean of course a good interviewer can say anything I mean I could interview for a job today and I could put on a great show and hate sure. what I'm doing but but I you really and you know you've talked to me before so you know I mean I exude my passion for hospice mm-hmm. I, I love it I think it's the best thing ever so you know it's it's kind of a feeling you can kind of you can kind of get that you can kind of feel that but but asking them to explain some of their their past and and why did you get into nursing you know what and what makes you and I would tell people all the time when I would interview them what you need to know is that if you come to work here, this is not a job. This is, these people become your family. You walk a journey with these people to the end of their journey, because the biggest journey that will ever take, regardless of your religion, is to see the face of God. And so you're walking that journey with those patients. It is so important that you understand that because it's not like going to work on mid-surge and you you know, some days you want to come to work, some days you don't, don't. This is a job where you have to want to do it and you have to want to suffer through that pain and walk that road and, and be that for that family and that patient. All right. So you think you could <laughs> Sorry, pass. I look right away there. <laughs> yeah. So no, you made, you made a comment that you could, you could get a job. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask you an interview question. Let's see how you answer it. You ready? Okay. So Dina, why should we hire you? Because I'm like the best, the best person for the job. I will work harder. I will show up more. I will do everything I can do to make your company the best company out there. You're fired. (laughs) 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 That was a good role play. That was good. Hannah Hannah didn't like the role play. She's all about being serious. And I'm telling her that that was a great interviewing question. I just think this is such 
a great comprehensive topic, right? You're talking about so many aspects of spiritual care, patient care, family care, and having the right person in the right seat is key it to, is. because high, high retention um, is the best thing for patients. If you have high staff turnover, you're going to have broken relationships with families. You're going to have broken relationships within your IDT team, which hinders communication, which doesn't allow for the best possible scenario for a continuous high quality of care. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I've seen I've seen hospices where, you know, the 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 patient may have three or four different people um, case managers in their, their tenure. And that's never a good experience. No. I mean, some things, some things are unavoidable, but you know, if I'm going to start this journey with you, I want to finish it with you. Right. People that just can, people that can just walk away from, from this kind of job should have never, ever applied. I mean, I know you can't stop them because people, people are going to work, but they should never have come to work here. Cause how can you walk, how can you walk away from those people that need you the most? I, it's just unfathomable to me. Hey, let's let's pretend for a second. I'm in the market for needing hospice care. You're the patient, or I'm, you're the no, family. I'm the family. Okay. What, what what do you see? What are people looking for before they choose? And how do I know I'm choosing the right hospice agency to go with? What what do most people right. look at? How they evaluate them? What should agencies be aware of that how they're being evaluated? Well, I think a lot of it is genuineness. You know, I mean, I when I when I managed an agency, I, I was in a rural area, um, and I, I would have people all the time that would just call. My, in fact, my very first day that I I came to work, my I mean, I'd not even read the policy and procedure manual, and the ink wasn't dry. I had a, a woman who lived about ten miles from the office, and her brother needed hospice. And she wanted to meet somebody. And so I'm like, oh, okay, I'll go. Because, you know, I've been doing hospice for a while. I'll go. Well, you know, there was a wreck on the road. So we had to turn around and we had to go about 20 miles out of the way. And, I mean, I think it's all in your genuineness. I didn't have a problem doing that. And, of course, she chose us. Um, But I think it's all in how genuine someone is. And you have to just, you have to interview those people. I don't, I can't tell you what makes a hospice right and what makes a hospice wrong, you're going to have to feel that in your soul. You're going to have to feel that this is the, and you will, you will know this is the right, I'm making the right decision. Now, again, Michael, there are those um, people that come on to hospice and don't have time to make a choice, don't have time to interview. Some of those turn out good, some of those turn out bad, but you've got to respect those patient wishes. You've got to be open-minded and you've got to be very honest and genuine with those families. That's what I'm looking for if I am looking for a hospice. No, I think that's like right. I, I think like that's Hannah would be my hospice nurse. If she was a nurse, Hannah Bell would be my hospice nurse. What, what would I be? Oh, you would be my comic relief. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, nice. so if I, if I, okay. So from an agency no, no, perspective, you, know, you really, you, I would let you be my hospice nurse. I'd be good at it. I think yeah, you I'm you so genuine. You're genuine, but you're not compassionate. That's not true. I'm compassionate. I, I think he's compassionate, but I think he hides that compassion. Maybe oh, that's the truth. Cause I don't think he wants people to think he's that compassionate. Got I'm a tough shell and a gooey inside. Oh goodness. Yeah, exactly. I'm like a exactly. gummy berry. <laughs> like a Cadbury egg. There you like go. Yeah. So if I'm an agency, let me ask you this. All right, this is a tough one. You ready for this one? Yeah, I'm ready. 
What specific accreditations or certification programs are out there if, if an agency wants to improve on quality and, and standard standardization? That was a that was a tough one. Across yeah. multiple locations or service areas? What 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 are we looking at here? So there are, you know, there are three that come to the top of my head. There's CHAP, there's ACHC, there's JACO. Um, JACO really does more hospitals, but a lot of inpatients will get a JACO certification. Um, and then the state. Now, um, CMS did pass, pass. Um, I'm not going to say law, but they, but it is a law that, that the certificate, the accrediting agencies have to survey the same as the state. So CMS is really trying to um, make sure that accrediting agencies can't be harder or less or, or more lenient than CMS is itself. Um, along with the CMS agencies themselves can't be, you know, overbearing and all that kind of stuff. So we are both, um, Canton is both CHAP and ACHC accredited. Um, EMR, we just finished our accreditation in all lines of business. So um, if you need ACHC accredited, you just need to give us a call. Wow. Okay. That was, that was your second plug. I know. You're just plugging yeah. away. You're just plugging away. I, well, you know, I mean, I get to plug some. What What did you have to go through to be able to provide that? So we have to, you have to go through a survey process. So I have to have patients that are set up and I have to be able to go through all of their standards of care to show them that we provide the ability um, either outright for them just to click a box and document it or we provide a place for them to store that documentation or actually write that documentation in so um it is about an eight hour process for one line of business so um and i've done chaps well with chap we have home care lift but We've done home health in CHAP, we've done palliative in CHAP, we've done hospice in CHAP, and then we've done all four of them with ACHC. So um, it's about an eight-hour day, and so about three or four eight-hour days. And it is a grueling process because you have to make sure that your software can meet. So, you, you know, they may have 100 standards. you got to go through all those standards to make sure that you can meet those standards. So what's coming down the pipe that, that hospice agencies need to start working towards now? You know, I think the big thing that's coming down the pipes now are all of your um, hospice care index um, type things. So, you know, we are being looked at and they're looking at our outcomes. And eventually, of course, they've been saying this for years that it would be coming, it would be coming. So eventually, you know, hospice will have an oasis. Hope will be kind of the oasis for hospice. And so I, I think it's very important that you start looking at your outcomes and you start really seeing where you're lacking as a hospice and get those outcomes up because those penalties will become steeper and steeper. I mean, they've already went from 2% to 4% with for some penalties. So I, th I think it's very important that you get those. SIA is a really big thing too. You know, when that patient is is getting ready to die, are you are you increasing your visits? And I mean, there, there are softwares out there that will, you know, do those predictive analytics for you, but nothing beats a nurse's knowledge. Their and, intuition. And yeah, nothing beats that. Uh, you can't tell me that AI is going to ever beat that. I mean, it's great now. I think it's pretty cool, but I still think, you know, a nurse should know where her patient is. Do you know I got my kids to believe that I created ChatGBT? Why does that not surprise me? I, I don't know. I was like, hey. How I, did you do that? How yeah, did you do that? I just told them. I created it. They're like, no, you didn't, Dad. 
It's like, yes, I did, kids. But the only one that believed me was the 10-year-old. The 19 and the 17-year-old just rolled their eyes. I, I would have rolled my eyes, too, I'm afraid. Hey, let me ask you this. Are there common mistakes or areas of improvement that you see in all your years of experience in hospice that you could pinpoint that agencies, you know, these are the challenges? Oh, yeah. What, what, oh, what, what are yeah. they? Yeah, I, have a, I have a whole, I have a whole um, presentation on the top 10 survey division. Oh, let's um, hear those. Can you I, list I, them? I, I, oh, I cannot list them off right off the top of my head. What's, the, what's the number off, one? What's number one? But the, the biggest one is your care plan. So probably um, one of the biggest ones is the aid care plan and the aid not doing what's on the aid care plan, which again, I'm going to do a shameless plug. You know, when we create a care plan, the care plan is all that the aide can see. So she can't pick any other task. She or he can't pick any other task. Um, also, the care plan and, and updating the care plan and making sure that the medications are reconciled. You know, there are so many, those are such small things that agencies can do. And, and I tell agencies all the time when I talk to them, you know, it, if your care plan's not changing, does your patient really need hospice because they're obviously not declining they're just staying static so um but care planning is a big thing you know are you changing the care plan are you providing the wound care correctly are you i mean i could go on and on and on no i think that's true you got 10 of them you know let's just take the first one you know what i'm saying a little bit of this a little bit of that so go talk a little bit more about medications and kind of what what hospices can do to manage some of those medication pieces better? So I, I think the big thing with hospice and managing those medication pieces um, is one, you know, deprescribing is very big and, and especially for a hospice patient. So, you know, being in contact with the pharmacist and the physician and deprescribing some of those medications so they don't have 12,000 medications. Also, the, the biggest thing that the nurse can do to, to, not have this tag is look at the patient's medications when you go to the home and compare them to what's in the computer and ask them, hey, have you been to the doctor since I last came? And if they say yes, did they give you any medicine? Well, where is that? You know, are you have you got anything in your cabinet that you're taking for a headache or that you're taking? Because even over the counter stuff, vitamins, Advil, all of that stuff will cause you to get a tag in a survey. If you don't have that stuff on their medication and educate, 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 educate about those medicines. And they should be educating on medications when they go out, you know, and and that's all part of that goals and intervention stuff. So if you have that goal under that intervention to teach on medications, once you teach them all and they verbalize the understanding, then, you know, you can put those goals and those interventions aside unless medicines change or they start not being able to take their medicines. A lot of people, too, forget that oxygen is a medication, and it has to go on a medication list. People don't think of oxygen as a medication. They think of it as a medical medication, and it does have to go on the medication list. So, Dina, what's the one thing that we haven't talked about that we should be asking you? Well, how, how do people find out how to get on can time? Oh, God. Third plug. I'm telling you, you should be in sales. You really should be in sales. That was fantastic. Okay. So here we go then, Dina, you've, you've given us great insight. And so where can the listeners find more information about you and our friends at Cantime? They can go to Uh Cantime.com. We have several little videos showing our product, not 
long videos and they can actually schedule a demonstration right on the site and once they schedule a demonstration they'll get a call from either joseph butler or elliot and lamar lamir and they'll set up a demo and we'll show them how good we are well i will tell you you have a great team over there uh, you guys Thank are you. very professional. Um, and every time that we've got several clients with, with you guys can time, we love the partnership. We love working with you guys. You do what you say you're going to do. You take care of the client. So all, all that stuff is fantastic. So we, we highly recommend can time, um, for sure. Just the great people. It is a fantastic software. And I, I'm really, I, all the joking aside, I'm, I'm really thankful that you, um, found some time to, to hang out with us and talk with us a little bit. This is such a great topic. It's, it's, it's close to a lot of people's heart because it is a, it's a tough thing to do. It's a tough thing to go through. Um, and choosing the right agency, choosing the right software, training your people to really be compassionate and to love people, I think is critically important. So all that insight you brought, brought really nice to the, to the show. We really greatly appreciate you, you hanging out. Well, thanks for having me guys. I appreciate it. Fantastic. Have a great rest of your week. Appreciate you being on. For the rest of 2023, we will be releasing episodes to help you finish off your year strong and head into 2024 with some great momentum. There are several topics we're going to be covering for our audience that we know will be really useful. To start off with, we are going to be talking through what you need to do to collect every dollar of revenue in 2023, including questions you can ask to an outsourced billing company or partner, as well as your revenue department if you do that in-house. We know that recovering revenue at the end of a year is crucial for financial stability and performance analysis, and it really just allows businesses to assess profitability and meet the financial obligations, plan for the upcoming year, make some more informed strategic decisions based on accurate financial data, and strategically, now is a good time time to take a look at standard operating procedures within your billing operation specifically. So be sure to subscribe, plan to join us over the next few weeks as we kind of pelt some episodes at you to finish out 2023 strong.